Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here as always. And of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a one-all draw at home against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, a last-minute Leon Bailey miss on an open goal might be the headlines for most, but nonetheless, it's a point. It's another point in the positive direction. And you know what? That's what, 10 points out of our last 15. So all in all, we do have to be happy with the progress there. It is frustrating, but nonetheless, I have turned the leaf a little bit more and I am more positive than I was probably 20 minutes ago. But nonetheless, let's get over to Mr. Sebastian Bacon and Tom Nightingale as well, who are joining me. We're going to try to make this a quicker one. Like we always say, we try to make it quick and let's see if that actually happens. But Seb, how's it going for you, my friend? Yeah, it's nice to be back and it's nice to... um not be hosting for once um but yeah in in terms of the game look i mean it's not actually that bad of a result on paper we've we've gained a point we haven't lost and we've moved up the league in my eyes so you know chances will come and go and if that bailey miss was in the 32nd minute then it probably wouldn't even be talked about so um you know all in all looking at the perspective it could have gone a lot worse than it did 100 percent, tom how's it going for you yeah, I mean it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Like lots of frustrating as lots of frustrating aspects for that game. But um it's one and, and like at the end of it, I'm just pleased not to have lost it. You know, I thought we were really poor for 70 minutes or so. Plenty of times over the last few years we'd have lost that game, maybe conceded a second for good measure, you know, late in the second half. Um and I was watching it thinking actually about an hour gone, I was thinking this has got written all over it. One of those games where we just don't create the chances. We could play all night and we won't score and we'll lose and it'll be a bit dismal. But to our credit, Emery made a couple of changes, fought our way back into the game. Nice goal from Danny Ings. Um, I know the miss at the end from Bailey. We'll talk about that more. But um would have been absolute daylight robbery if we'd have won that game. I think draw is kind of a fair result and just only one defeat in five in the league under Emery fine by me absolutely and of course uh just to kind of bring up the goal scores of course daniel podent scored in the 12th minute assisted by jao matinho of course like tom said danny ing scoring in the 78th minute assisted by mings ings and mings the duo that we always knew we needed in our lives and i could probably say those two names together 100 times and i'd still be just as happy to say it because i'm a child in my personality and like silly things like that. But nonetheless, to get to some of the stats, because I know there are some stats nerds out there. Villa had 56% possession to Wolves is 44, 13 shots to Wolves is 10, four on target to Wolves is three, seven corners to Wolves is eight. And in the fouls, uh, Wolves absolutely dominated 12 to R6. So if they wanted some advantage in any meaningful way, I guess that's one way to look at it. But Tom, I'll throw this back to you. I mean, I know you are someone who, as well who look at it in the bigger picture and think, you know what, 
everyone can focus on the Leon Bailey miss at the end. But aside from that, it was a very slow start. Wolves deserved the lead, in my opinion, in that first half based on how things were going. Of course, Villa kind of crawled into it, I'd probably say 30, 35 minutes onwards. But the fact that it took so long was a little worrying, wasn't it? Yeah, the thing for me that was most disappointing, I thought, is that, you know, we uh, we were on Holtcast just a few days ago, me and Simon talking about how the the, the double pivot of Douglas Louise and Bubakar Kamara just absolutely played Spurs off the park um, in North London, absolutely dominated the midfield. Today, I thought that control was completely missing, really. I didn't think we ever had control of the game at all. Um, grew into it as it went on, but just weren't able to exercise that level of um, control and composure, I guess, that characterized the performance at Spurs. Um, yeah, such a slow start, wasn't it? Really, like really, really bad. Wolves' goal was very good. I mean, it's it's honestly, it's kind of hard to legislate for those kind of goals because that foot, there's not many. You know, nine times out of ten, way more actually. You know, nineteen times out of twenty, attacker gets the ball in that position. They do not find the footwork to get through the defensive challenges and also find the finish. Like it's just one of those. It's a good goal. Um. But just pleased with the reaction. I didn't, and even late on when, you know, I didn't, I don't know, at any point in the game, didn't think Villa were particularly good. But unless you're one of the real top tier teams, you can't play well every game. And the key, if you have games where you don't play well, the key, the only really important thing, do not lose the game. And we didn't lose the game. So, you know, I, I, I'd have been, I'd have been very disappointed to lose it, but you wouldn't really have been able to look at that and say that, I don't think if we'd have lost, I don't think you really could have complained very much, to be honest, the way that Villa played. But to come back, get a point and escape, were, you know, without defeat in a game where we really didn't play very well. That's what you have to do if you want to keep climbing up the table and keep putting the building blocks down. So I think it's one of those you've got to take it in the bigger picture. You know, everyone loves to beat Wolves. I bloody hate playing Wolves. Never fun, is it, at all? Um, so it would have been nice to beat them. But... If you can't beat them, don't lose to them. Absolutely. And, and Seb, I mean, if if we cast our minds back to last year and how we had an almighty 3-2 uh, losing collapse to them at Villa Park, I mean, it's one thing to go from that way, but to come back and to basically go down to the last kick of the game and at least get a draw, it shows at least there's fight there and there's that change compared to this time last year, wasn't there? Oh, 100%. And I mean, you you look at the the two results and they are their chalk and cheese. Um, you know, I think we're both in quite a similar place now in terms of that. We're both trying to find our feet again. We're both trying to really establish our identity moving forward. Um, and this was a real test of character for me. Um, you know, a lot's been said about Unai Emery and the way he plays. And I spoke to a lot of um, Arsenal fans before he he came in that said he would struggle against low block teams, teams that will sit back, he will really struggle to create chances against. Whereas, you know, teams like Manchester United or Tottenham at home, when they when they try and push on to you more, he will find easier to break down and hit on the counter-attack. So today was always going to be a real learning curve, um, a different type of opposition to what he's actually faced. And we've actually got three more of that type of opposition coming up. I think we've got arguably three winnable games on paper um, against, I'd, I'd like to say, weaker opposition. So, you know, I'd like to see where we are come that end of the run. Um, 
you know, I think we'll we'll be able to establish a lot more about the squad and how they can play. Obviously, the January transfer window will be will be over by then as well. So, you know, at the end of that, will be a real time to sit down and go right. These are our strengths. These are our weaknesses. What can we expect moving forward? Whereas now, I think we're still trying to get a little bit of a taste for that because, as I said, Wolves was our real first opposition since he came in that you know we've had to actively try and break a team down that we on paper should be beating 100 and, and tom i'm throwing you under the bus at this one but maddie cash attacking winger right mid thoughts on that because <laughs> I, I had a, a variety of different opinions and they probably weren't too good it's a really interesting one because when the team came out i was actually quite keen to see it um i liked it uh towards the end of the spurs game when Cash came on ahead of Young. Um, I think Ashley Young is a better defensive right back than Matty Cash is. I'm just going to put that out there. Like I um, I like Matty Cash, brings a lot of energy and um, very committed and does have the quality, at least in patches, but I don't think he's as quite as good a player as some of our fans make him out to be. Um, it's a little inconsistent for me at times. And so I like the idea of having Cash going forward in front of Young, but... Um, what do I know? Didn't work. <laughs> um, didn't work for me, really. Summed it up at the end with Matt when we were trying to push for a winner and he sent a cross, I don't know, into orbit, as he is wont to do from time to time. Um, but what I, what, what I do like, I have to say, is like, you know, we, we've talked a lot, I think, about the need to place pretty much complete faith in Unai Emery. We're ob- he's obviously still figuring out the squad in front of him and how to play and try and things, you know, like McGinn would have played again today had McGinn been fit. Um, and I like, I just like to see Unai Emery trying these things, right? Because like we can kind of afford to do it, to be honest, because A, we're still, don't, let's not forget, we're still early in the season. Was that the halfway point today? I've lost track. Um, but we're still pretty early in the season. We're a thoroughly a mid-table team. Like he's, he's only five games into his reign like it is the time to be experimenting and trying these things um but i'm not sure you can really put matty cash at right wing um in the win column after today won't be too upset if we don't see it again um but yeah it's interesting you know i thought i you know i thought it might work out all right when the team came out but um i don't know i wouldn't necessarily say that that was the issue with our performance today i think we were just a bit all over the shop um, I mean, that not... one for me, sorry, sorry, Tom, that one for me is a really interesting one because he he's played 85% of his career on the right wing. You know, let's not forget we bought him arguably as a right winger from Forrest. Um, so we can't, I, I saw that and I thought, you know, he'll, he'll be composed, he'll be understanding of his role. You know, this isn't new for him. This isn't something something that he hasn't done before you know young's gone from winger to full back um so you know if we put ashley young back on the wing again it's not like it'd be new but it's it's weird that he he struggled as much as he did today i would have thought it would be quite a i mean i i, I was expecting it to happen from moon emery um so I, I i was almost expecting cash to almost flow into that role and and you know, use his experience and understanding, but it didn't seem like that today at all. And I don't know why. Is it, is it fair to say that Maddie, I mean, it like, I think this is kind of the, um, a perfect example almost of 
championship quality versus Premier League quality. Matty Cash, the winger, might be championship quality. That some may argue, but as a right back, he's Premier League quality. Do you think that's fair to say, Tom? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, really. Um, yeah, I guess so. Cash is a weird one for me. Like I can't. I watched obviously watched Matty Cash play um, from afar a lot for Villa. Um, it's been pretty much a regular since he joined. I still cannot confidently state how good of a player Matty Cash is. He confuses me quite a lot. There are times I think he's like a sort of best of the rest kind of right back in the Premier League. Like obviously not, you know, you've got your Trents and Kyle Walkers and people like that, I guess. But like there are times I think he's one of the best outside the top six. And there are other times where I think he's a liability, to be honest. Um, but I guess that's just, I think that mean. I think all that really shows is that his ceiling is pretty high, but it's all about consistency, isn't it? Um I think he's got a hard I think Cash is an interesting one. I think he's got a he's got a tough job um winning a regular place back in our team, I think. Don't really see any reason to drop Ashley Young. In fact, I'll go further than that. I don't want to see us drop Ashley Young. I think we're better with him in the team. Um and so Cash has got a bit of a it's weird because you know now he's a full Poland international playing quite regularly for the Polish national team, but all of a sudden I feel like his villa place is under threat. Really, so it's going to be an interesting sort of subplot um, to see how that develops over the over the next few weeks and months under Emery. True, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, too, that's never really a bad thing. I feel like that's been one of the biggest issues I've had with Villa for as long as I can remember. It's been competition for places and quality competitors for those places. Like, I, I think you'll get certain sections of the fan base that of course, want Matty Cash to start every game. And if he doesn't, then we'll probably think that he's not good enough to be at Villa. But it's the complete opposite, really. It's the fact that we have, which it's still incredible to say, what, 37-year-old Ashley Young playing like he's 28 um, defensively, just being able to position himself perfectly, knowing that he doesn't have the legs that he used to. That's really no disservice to Matty Cash to me. It's just one of those situations where you have two players going for it and the more experienced head is showing that he is better at the moment. I mean, that can of course change because think back to last season when Ashley Young just kind of came back into Villa and it wasn't really clicking right away at the start. And I think some people were very concerned with that. And of course with time, it's kind of changed, but it's an interesting one nonetheless, because of course he did come off um, at the start of the second half. Felipe Coutinho uh, came on for him in his place. And the one thing, Tom, I'll throw this back to you because I mean, of course there's going to be numerous times I'm sure as uh, fans from abroad, of course we're not managers or even if you're a fan like Seb that goes to a, a lot of games and has a season ticket. We have opinions that substitutions should be made at a certain time when they're not, but it, it's nice to see Unai Emery being very proactive with the substitutions. Like I said, changing the shape, bringing on Coutinho, uh, Luca Dean just wasn't having a very good game. Augustinson, I mean, we've rarely saw him, but I was very impressed with his um, brief cameo coming on in the 67th. Of course, Den Docker came on for Louise at the same time, and Danny Ings came on a, a moment earlier for Wally, o- or Wally Watkins, <laughs> Ollie Watkins, um, who evidently massively struggled today. But what did you make of the substitutions as a whole? It's just nice to, like, I agree with you. It's nice to have a manager who's proactive. I would rather 
you know, I've got visions of like Tim Sherwood substitutions throwing away that 2-0 lead at Leicester years ago in their title winning season. Um, so every so often it does go badly wrong. But I would much rather have a manager who is really proactive and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't than a manager who sits on his hands, doesn't do anything till the 75th minute, um, which I feel like we've had too often. Dean was uh, guilty of it sometimes. Gerard was awful for it, but maybe sitting, maybe for Gerard, sitting on his hands was better than him trying to be proactive because that he didn't really have a clue, did he? Let's be honest. Um, Got to get some Gerard slander in every episode, you see. Um, but yeah, I'd, I, like I'm, I'm glad to see Emery being proactive, and I would say so far on balance, like more often than not, I think Emery's substitutions seem to have a positive effect on our overall performance. And to your point, I guess about Cash and Young as well, it's a good sign, I think, that. Um, even though Emery hasn't had a transfer window yet, we're in a decent position when it comes to squad depth. Like we do have the, some options on the bench, like a little light when a couple of injuries rear their rear their head. But um, certainly we got more. We feel like feels like we've got more options from the bench than we had 12, 18 months ago. Um, and if there's one person I trust to get the most out of a not only a starting eleven but a match day whatever it is now. I've lost track of how big match day squads are now. That's how old I am. Um, but if there's one person I trust to get the most out of a substitutes bench, it's probably Unai Emery, really. Um, so it's good to, you know, it's good to see him be proactive. I'm very interested to see, you know, come the end of January, hopefully that bench will look a lot stronger than it looked today. Um, but long may that proactivity continue, really. I thought it worked well today. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, before we started making the subs, we were losing. And by the end of the game, we didn't lose. So on balance, you've got to say it's worked, haven't you, really? Yeah, of course. And Seb, I'll throw this one your way. I mean, if we want to slander Steven Gerrard for just a moment, because, I mean, why not? And as Tom said in on Twitter in the last podcast, thanks for going to Bubakar Kamara's house to convince him. That's his greatest Villa contribution um, of note. Um but aside from that, I mean, it is nice to know that when you're seeing these substitutions, there's there's thought behind it. It's not throwing on two or three strikers and hoping for the best, is it? Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're nothing more but fans, and you know, although a lot of people think differently, fans aren't that knowledgeable on you know how to change games at the elite level, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was always disconcerting to me when. As fans, we could quite comfortably predict the three substitutions or the five substitutions that Gerard would use, because if we can predict it, then so can an opposition manager, and so can you know the opposition teams. Whereas that's that's the difference with Emery; he he's able to see things quickly and efficiently and act on them, and that's probably why we ended up getting the point today. And it can, you know, that's that's the difference. Football game is is won by small margins, isn't it? Especially at the at the top level and those those can be the differences sometimes between winning and losing absolutely and tom i mean we might as well mention this man danny ings coming on in the 66th minute uh i mean beautiful way to take down that long ball and then of course we a little bit of luck for jose saw to kind of stumble but nonetheless i, I feel like when you're one-on-one with danny ings he's gonna put that in the net it no offense to Ollie Watkins, but I feel like if that was the case, he'd probably still miss or hit the post or something like that. And then it would go in after giving us a very, very minor heart attack because that's how it works with 
Ollie Watkins in front of goal. But what did you make of his cameo in the second half in particular? Yeah, I mean, we've been saying, um, or I think we've been saying for a while, but a lot, Danny Ings, you know, if you want a chance to fall to a Villa striker, you want it to be Danny Ings, not Ollie Watkins. Like, let's be real. I love, like, I like Ollie Watkins. I say this every time I talk about him. I love what he brings to the Villa team all round. But it's an undeniable fact that that Ollie Watkins is a guy who needs three or four chances to score. Ings, if he doesn't score the first one, he normally scores the second one. Do you know what I mean? And he's um, he's just a finisher, isn't he? Like, I, it's it's a difficult one because I know there's a lot of talk about him leaving. Very interesting, actually. I see literally like while we're on recording here, Unai Emery said after the game, he was asked about transfer interest. You know, in Danny Ings, he said after the game, he's spoken with some players, but not with him. Archer's going to leave on loan, but he hasn't spoken with Ings about transfer stuff. Um, I'd be very surprised if we let him go, especially as like we're, ne- we're never going to make the money back, never going to make anywhere near the money back that we spent on him. And he's the best finisher in our squad, definitely. And AVFC Stato on Twitter coming up big again. Uh, Ings is currently scoring 0.71 goals per 90 minutes in the Premier League this season. Only seven players in the league have a better goals per 90 minute ratio than Danny Ings. Only seven. Um, the issue there, of course, is like, how do you integrate him into the team? Like, you want to keep Watkins in the team? Do you push Watkins out wide left and play Ings up top? Which, for the record, not that I'm a manager, that's probably what I would do. Um, I think given that we create more chances these days, okay, we weren't great today, but like, look at the Spurs game. Created so many chances in the Spurs game. Liverpool as well. Um, Watkins, what, you know, scored the offside one, didn't he? And then missed a couple and scored the fourth one or whatever. Um, We're a lot better at creating chances these days. You want a striker who you can at least pretty confidently count on to score the chances you create. That's not Ollie Watkins, but it is Danny Ings. Um, So I think we'd be really foolish to let him go. You're not going to find a goal every other game, proven elite goal scorer in the January market. Like, let's get get let's get real about that. Um, so for me, I think considering the way that Villa have been playing, like today's let, let's not forget as well. Like the Wolves game has been the outlier performance wise. Villa have put in a bunch of great performances. I think like I know we went behind at Brighton at Brighton early on before the World Cup, but ended up winning it. Liverpool, we weren't great, but Liverpool, I, th- I thought Liverpool were dominated us in the fullback position and deserved to win. The rest of the games, we've been the better team. Played United off the park, played Spurs off the park. Um, and we're creating a lot of chances. And I just think the best version of this current Villa team, where this Villa team is right now, the best and most prolific version of this Villa team has Danny Ings in it for my money. Um, and that goal... Felt like there was a little bit of um, bit of a release of emotion in Ings' celebration today. He's probably been quite frustrated, I think, because you know he scored those two goals against Brighton. He was scoring before the World Cup, hasn't been able to get a start um, to come on and rescue the game for the team um, after Watkins hadn't really been in the game. Should give him a big confidence boost, hopefully, make him feel like he's proven a point. And um, it should be very hard for Emery to leave him out, really. Uh, I know we've got Stevenage next, but then next league game, it should be very hard to leave things out of the team. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Tom, would you... Would you sacrifice not bringing in a striker in the January market if it meant keeping Ings? It like if you had to have one or the other, so it was either get rid of Ings and bring in a twenty thirty million pound striker that's been talked about, or keep Ings but sacrifice that signing. What would you? What would you? I think I would keep Ings in that situation. The main rationale being like I hate the January market. And if you go in for a striker now, halfway through the season in the January market, like you just don't really know what you're getting. Could be a masterstroke, could be a disaster, could be somewhere in between. At least with Danny Ings, you know what you've got. And I think what you've got is a player who maybe the, like, I mean, I, I quite like his work rate and his hold up play, but maybe some of the hold up play and the play off the ball isn't, doesn't necessarily bring the same stuff, the same good stuff that Watkins brings off the ball. But you know that he scores. You know that he look at that. Um, the it was it was Ings who played the pass, wasn't it, for Bailey in the last minute? Was that Ings's pass? Can't remember. Um, but he's we've seen it before as well. Ings has got a good eye for a good eye for a pass as well. Um, and I feel like Ings is a real um, the kind of player that you want around camp. I think it's been there, done that. Very experienced in the Premier League. Seems like a great guy. Scores goals. You know what you've got with him. And I feel like if we were going to sell him, we'd be selling him at a big loss. Loaning him out makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, And it would be a big gamble, I think, to try and bring in somebody with a better goal record. And I'm not even talking historic goal record. Like just, you know, we've we've seen the stat about him scoring per 90 minutes, you know, scoring well per 90 minutes. Very big ask to bring in somebody who's more of a proven goal scorer at this stage of a season than Danny Ings. So he, I would, I would keep him. I would sacrifice the striker signing and I would look to strengthen elsewhere and I would give Danny Ings more game time, I think. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. Um, the one thing I do want to bring up, and I feel like, um, like I said, I, I do want to keep this one a little bit shorter than usual because... I mean, spoiler alert, if you've gotten this far, we should have a special episode out on Friday. It's a little bit late, but it's in regards to uh, our very own Simon O'Regan's experience um, at the World Cup. So we're going to throw that one out there. So I did want to make this one a little bit briefer as well, since we'll be a little jam-packed with podcasts this week. But um, I mean, we do have to discuss probably one of the most frustrating talking points (laughs) of the match and one of the probably more frustrating performers of the match, that being... Leon Bailey. Um, 
in the first half. I, I mean, I counted at least four instances where um, he could have easily passed it, laid it off, kind of maybe relieved pressure or just kind of give, given someone a little bit more of an outlet. And he just carried on with the ball and then lost it in very Leon Bailey fashion. Not to say he's the only one that did that uh, this evening, because there's been a number of them that did it. Um, and it was frustrating to see. But aside from that loss, I mean, Seb, you've seen it or that miss, I should say, but Seb, you've seen it back. And I mean, Leon Bailey in my eyes, and maybe it's harsh to say it, but to me, he's a Dom or not a Dama Traore. I mean, I guess that's another Traore that hasn't worked out for Villa, but he's Burchin Traore 2.0 in my eyes. But what do you make of him in particular? Look, so I'm I'm going to be straight up and I and say that I haven't watched the game. Um, I've just seen the highlights. I've just seen his miss, um, and I've I've heard a lot about what people were talking about. Um, I I actually think you'll be quite harsh. Um, in in all truth, um, I think he offers the team a lot. I think there have been circumstances this season where. He has been the one to take the game by the scruff of the neck and try and make something happen, um, whether that be through his creativity on the ball, whether that be through, you know, his his fast pace, his runs in behind. I I'm a big Leon Bailey advocate. I I really like it. I get I get his temperament in which can be frustrating, but name me a winger in the Prem that isn't frustrating to watch at times and that can get the ball and will always beat the man and will always get across in the box or always get a shot off at goal. He He's still so young and he's still so raw and I'm almost not counting last season because I think it was injury riddled. You know, he had a lot of confidence hits. I was sat at Villa Park last season. I, I can't remember when it was, but he came off the pitch, got booed off the pitch and I was sat in the stands going, that is the last time I want to see him play for the club. So the way that he's turned it round and, you know, this season he's managed to stay injury free, touch wood. Um, I, I think there have been many instances where he's rescued a game for us this season through his quality on and off the ball. And I think it's it's going to happen. There's going to be instances where you know, he misses chances or he doesn't put the ball in the back of the net. Hey, look at Ollie Watkins. I, I doubt Ollie Watkins would have scored in that position tonight. Um, it, it, it's a bad miss. It is a bad miss. And it was a chance to win the game. But like we've said overall, it probably wouldn't have been deserved. So I think to to blame him would be would be unfair. And I completely get what you're saying about how frustrating he can be to watch. But in my eyes... I think there's a lot of players that are like that that can turn on a bit of quality in almost the click of a finger. And I still think he will come good for Villa. And I still think he will be a very, very good player for Villa. But there's still learning curves for him. He'll take he'll take what happens tonight and hopefully he'll grow from it. You saw how badly it affected him. Um, I, I trust Leon Bailey to come back bigger and stronger. It was really difficult to watch, wasn't it, him being so upset at full time and I mean what like we were talking about this before we came on to record but what I really hate is came out so quickly after the game and he's put an apology on Instagram where he says he's really sorry Uh, I feel at blame for not coming away with all three points very disappointed in myself will be difficult to sleep tonight like I hate that 
because I can be very hard on Leon Bailey. I have to say I lean to more more towards Cole's side than I do towards your side, Seb, with the Bailey thing. He frustrates. He's the kind of player that I think uh, football journalists would describe as an enigma. And what they mean is he's bloody annoying. Um, but I, I think you're right about wingers. I, I, there's an argument that winger is um, one of the most thankless positions to play in football, I think, because you're you are tasked with taking defenders on, creating chances. So... Obviously, there's quite a high failure rate just from the nature of the job because you're the one who's having to try and make things happen. Um, a lot of the time, it's not going to come off. It's just the nature of the game. Um, I think you're absolutely right, Seb, about saying that it, it, it would be incredibly unfair to blame him for us not winning the game today. Everyone misses chances. Um, and to hit, see him come out and apologise, like I just... It's more of a general point, but like I hate this culture that's coming out of footballers feeling like they have to apologize for things. Like everyone misses chances. Said before the game, in before the recording, in jest. That's the case. We should we should get three or four apologies from Ollie Watkins every game because he misses a lot of chances. But it's just part and parcel of the game, isn't it? Like, and it's just unfortunate for Bailey that his miss was right at the end, um, in front of a crowd both at Villa Park and watching at home, who were frustrated with the way the first 70 minutes of the game had gone, wanted to see Villa really go for the win and see us nick it at the end. Of course you want to see that, but it doesn't always come off. And like we said, it wouldn't really have been deserved if we had won the game. Um, So as much as Bailey does irritate me, like he is the kind of player I think, I'm more than happy to see him in the team when we are playing the kind of setup where we are going to try and dig in and then hit on the counter-attack with pace. Um, I'm not sure he would... I'm not sure he should be the go-to guy for trying to break teams down when they're sat in a low block or because I, I feel like it doesn't work very often. But um, these are the gambles you take as a manager with the squad in front of you. And the, the gamble with Bailey is that like he's clearly a good player. He's clearly got a high ceiling. We've seen these explosive moments from him. Um but it doesn't always come off. And today was one of the days where it didn't come off. Flip side, it's not. it feels like a long time ago because of the World Cup, but it wasn't very long ago that he broke open the game against Man United for us with that goal, that great goal, making that run from midfield and great finish. You see, the, He's one of those players you see the best and the worst of a lot. Um, and it's probably going to continue that way, to be honest, just because of the nature of his playing style. Um, so... It's a difficult one, you know, like I don't want to see him. I don't want to see him dropped because of the miss or whatever, but I just, I don't, I don't think he should be a guaranteed starter for us, put it that way. I think there are games that suit him and there are games that don't. But above all, I think it's just worth stressing again that like um, he doesn't deserve to have fans get on his back for that miss at the end. And he certainly doesn't deserve to feel like he has to go straight into the dressing room after the game, after he's cried on the pitch and put an apology up on Instagram because that's just nonsense. I'm sorry, it's just nonsense. Absolutely. I do agree. And I would never say that um, drawing the game and not getting all three points is solely down to Leon Bailey. I mean, there's instances prior that we could have won it. Of course, Augustinson having, um, I think, was it Collins clearing it off the line? What we cleared it off the line in the early on in the first half was it Konza uh, did so at our end. So, I mean, it, it does kind of balance out. And at the end of the day, thinking kind of more level headed, I mean, Leon Bailey. 
unfortunately, and so like any professional athlete, you're going to live and die by the your price tag, what you came in at. If he came in at what five odd million that uh, Trezeguet or not Trezeguet, um, El Ghazi came in for several seasons ago, we wouldn't be complaining. But unfortunately, he came in for what thirty odd million or whatever it rises or will prove out to be in the very end. Um, and yeah, he's a prototypical winger. They're consistently inconsistent, as frustrating as it can be. It's I again, I don't like saying he's Triori 2.0. It's just when you see instances like when he was dancing through the the Wolves defense, and then of course there's lots of bodies around him. It's hard to get a shot off, but just little things like that just remind me so much of Triori again, a winger trait. But regardless of that, I mean, he does have several moments of magic that have proven to be decisive. So he does deserve credit there as well. It's really interesting that you mentioned the price tag because I'd like to also add in who in our team that he was replacing, Um, you know, which is for anyone not listening. And yes, we're going to mention him again. We can't go an episode without mentioning him. Jack Grealish. Anyone that was replacing Jack. And I truly believe this, any winger in world football that we brought in for the, for any price, I genuinely think that fans would be underwhelmed with their performances um, since coming in. So look, he, he had probably the most difficult job of a player coming into Aston Villa football club for, the last 10, 15 years trying to replace what we had in in Jack. Okay, let's get over to the three word reviews over on Twitter. Of course, you can tweet us at 7500 to hold post-match. Usually goes out, I don't know, 5 to 15 minutes after. So get involved. It's always appreciated. It's good fun. And uh, yeah, like I said, get involved. So let's go to um, 7,500 to Holt's own Phil Vogel saying deserved need depth. Uh, Jazz Singh saying, oh, no, Bailey. Um, Hella Brady with, I think there's like, what, four of them here. And he has them in order. So I'm just going to read them all out because, I mean, if you're that committed to tweet us with four different responses, I'm just going to read them out because I appreciate the effort. He says, Bailey master with... Better second half. Why always us? Why not us? In that order. Um, I think that's a pretty good way to summarize the whole game. Maybe we should have just kind of, I should have read that out and that could have been the podcast. Saved everyone, I don't know, half an hour or so. Um, Let's go to um, Joe Martini. Chin up. Leon. Dan Fell. Bad. Good. Ugly. Uh, (laughs) Ian Scriven. Stevie would have lost. Uh, I'm sure Tom really enjoys that one. <laughs> um, com podcast saying how smalls put ends. Um, Steve White, we miss McGinn. Uh, Tom Jones, knackered, point gained. And let's do two more because why not? Uh, Northwest Midlander crosses are pointless. And let's finish with uh, Martinez Magic saying terrible turned good. I think that's a very good way to summarize the first 30 minutes and kind of went, what went on post that. Tom, three-word review. I'm throwing you under the bus. Why not? Mm, I think escaped with escaped with point, I would probably say, on balance. <laughs> Fair enough, Seb. Oh, I, I hate these three-word reviews. Um, go again Friday, Sunday. We're playing Stevenage Sunday. Friday, if you're a Premier League fan, 
Sunday if you're a Villa fan. How about that? That's a bit more. These three words, uh, these three word reviews are far and away the worst thing that you make us do. Colin, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you're saying when on Sunday the last podcast, if you haven't listened to the recap of the Spurs game, go ahead and do so. We beat Spurs, so why not enjoy that one more time? So you're saying you hate this more than when I made you relive the 2012-2013 Villa squad? Genuinely, I'd rather walk down Villa's memory lane of misery than be asked to come up with a short and succinct review on the I'd spot. rather hear you rap about how the game went than have to think of three words to that's, sum up. That's a step too far, Seb. You've got to. Well, uh, 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 you know what I've taken out of all this, at least in regards to the 2012-2013 squad, at least someone cares about Jean McCoon, um, that being Tom Nightingale. Um, great to know that man still exists. But regardless of that, I would say, um, in a humorous way, I don't actually mean this, but I, I've been thinking about this for 10 minutes because I panic when I come to this or know it's coming. Tonev would have scored. I thought you were going to say you had a rap for us. No, no, no. My eyes I can't lit up. in three words. Come on, people. We can't do that. I was supposed to do actually a, a rap, what, at the end of last year, at the start of this year, and then never end up happening. Um, I, I've i deleted happen. it off my phone. No, it, it was it had Stevie G in it. Let's not relive that um, and get canceled. But uh, anyways, guys, before we do wrap it up, of course, I highly doubt we're going to have a preview prior to Stevenage um, to find a Stevenage fan, say it's a very hard thing to do and disrespect that football club. But I doubt it's going to happen, to be honest, with uh, the podcast we do have coming out. But just a quick score prediction going into Stevenage. Tom, how you feeling? And yeah, score prediction. Uh, Stevenage, um, 4-1 Villa. We'll find a way to we'll find a way to concede because the brand is too strong. Um, but no, let's have no messing around in the FA Cup this year, please. <laughs> Seb, how about you? Yeah, I'd also really like a cup run. Um, get into the final. I think I, I was probably about 11, 10, maybe when we got to that cup final. Um, and I've still never seen Villa win a major trophy. So I every year the FA Cup comes around. Every year I get my hopes up, and every year we go out in the third round. So um. I'm going one step further this year. I think we'll make it to the fourth, but I think it'll be a close game, 2-1. Fair enough. I'm going to go 3-1 Villa. I feel like we're going to concede early and then score three. And I don't know who's going to score, but I feel like we're going to get someone that we barely see. Maybe be Morgan Sanson decides to play his last game because, let's be honest, he's probably going to be gone. He'll get like a brace or something ridiculous. Um very much so like Connor Hurahan vibes against Barrow or whatever it was. Was it last at the uh, the beginning of last season? So we'll have to wait and see. But regardless of that, I, I think we should be progressing. If we don't beat Stevenage, I think there's much deeper problems at the football club. But guys, we'll leave it there, of course. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and thank you very much to Seb and Tom for joining me. Of course, you can find Seb on Twitter at Sebastian Bacon 8. Follow Tom on Twitter at TD Nightingale. Follow me on Twitter at Talk Aston Villa. Tweet the team at 7500 to Holt. Email the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com. And of course, go to the website, triple W dot 7500 Holt.com for all of your villa fixings. But anyways, we'll leave it there. Um, enjoy this podcast. Enjoy the one uh, with Simon and Seb that should be going up on Friday. And hopefully we should be back for a post-match reaction um, early on Monday to recap Stevenage. Maybe we'll have to see, but anyways, 
don't forget uh, the villa. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 